Hey, it's Andy. Every teen has their stuff they don't tell their parents about, not because they lack trust, but because they're trying to work it out on their own. As much as we wish we could be their go-to for everything, the truth is we can't always provide the objective guidance they need during these crucial years. That's where our partner, Bonfire Digital Wellness, comes in. Imagine your teen having a compassionate coach with years of experience as a high school counselor checking in weekly to support your teen's social, emotional, and academic growth, from fostering healthy habits to managing screen time and much more. The best part? It's all 100% online. Visit BonfireDW today and take advantage of a one-month free trial. That's BonfireDW.org slash Talking to Teens. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. Hey, we're here today with Pam Lobley talking about doing nothing. Kids today spend a lot of their time doing stuff. And as parents, I think we feel a lot of pressure to keep them constantly scheduled and on track. But Pam started to wonder if all that is really necessary and if all of that is really good for our kids. So she decided to conduct an experiment one summer and transport her family back to the 1950s. It didn't exactly work out quite how she planned, but she did learn a lot, and she wrote a fantastic book about it called Why Can't We Just Play? Pam started her career as a comedic actress performing in clubs and theaters all over New York City. She's written several plays, and her humor columns have appeared in many newspapers and online, and she's the author of two other books as well, Better Living Through Chaos, and you definitely know you're a mom when. Really excited to speak with Pam today about the pressures that so many families feel to be doing it all and how we can stay sane and raise great kids despite all the madness. Pam, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. Wow, I got done reading your book. And it was really a blast from the 1950s and really interested in this concept that you have, this experiment that you did of almost trying to take your family back in time. Walk me through the thought process or what led you to trying this. Okay. So the book that we're talking about is a memoir of a time when my two children, my two sons were 10 and seven years old. And uh, at that time, they were, we were a very busy family, like all families are, with a lot of scheduled activities, too many scheduled activities. And I was really feeling the pressure. My husband was really feeling the pressure. I can remember one night rushing through all the activities and getting them through their dinner and their, our dinner and bath routine. And we just collapsed in the living room at about nine o'clock and said, we've got to be doing something wrong. We should not be this stressed out and this exhausted. We don't even have teenagers yet. Right. This is supposed to be the easy part of childhood where they're seven, eight, nine, ten, and they're in a routine and there's not a lot of pressure, et cetera. And yet we were just exhausted all the time. And the thing that I think it took me a while to notice was that our kids were exhausted and stressed also. So during that same period, I was tucking the kids into bed one night, all the little, you know, reading and good night routine that we had. 
And my older son, who was 10 at the time, burst into tears and said, I never have time to just play. Now, I felt like I gave him lots of opportunities to play. I mean, he did all these activities. He played soccer and we stayed after school. He would play on the playground. And I mean, from a parent's point of view, it seemed like he had tons of social activities, tons of friends and fun things, always something going on. But what I realized is what he meant by play was I have a friend in the backyard and we do whatever we want. We're not supervised by a parent. I'm not told it's my turn. It's not a scheduled sports game. It's not a guided artistic activity. We're goofing around. And probably your age, my age, we remember that as a big part of our childhood, just goofing around with your friends. If you looked back and you at your childhood and said, gosh, what did we do? (laughs) You wouldn't even know what to say. You know, we goofed around the neighborhood. We made up stuff in the backyard. We had pillow fights in his bedroom. I mean, whatever it was. So that's what was missing from their lives. And I realized I really needed to, of course, I felt awful. I really needed to take a step back and evaluate our life and what kind of childhood was I providing for my children. So that was the impetus of let's get off the merry-go-round and see how we could do better. And then in terms of the 1950s, I have a friend who has a good sense of humor. And I was talking with her one day and during this period and thinking, well, what should we do over the summer? Let me ask my friends, what are you signing your kids up for, et cetera? And I asked my friend Jane and she said, nothing. We're having a summer from the 1950s. And, you know, she's funny. She's sarcastic. But to me, I thought, well, why couldn't I? What a concept. That was a joke. (laughs) So that's kind of how it all started. I love that. And it's funny because I had this revelation at one point in high school or something that like the best days were the days when like, school got canceled or like i think that's why you we love snow days so much because it's like you all of a sudden everything is canceled everything that you had planned you can't go anywhere you know i don't know i I grew up in portland where if it snows an inch it's like the whole everybody freaks out people that's all it's the only thing on the news it's like no don't please people stay home do not drive and, but but there's something about that or like a school cancellation day or something where my parents would go to work and like i would just have the entire day to myself to just do whatever i wanted and not, or do nothing or watch cartoons yes. for 2 hours and then get to wear my sweatpants all day and and think about it you didn't have screens yeah Right. No, yeah, yeah. I had to find things to do to entertain myself. I didn't have a phone or something. But I also realized how much of a novelty it was to have that feeling or how much of a luxury that was because so much of my life felt like constantly scheduled and there's always a list of things to do and that you don't really have that space. But I think it's just, I mean, I think it's important for all of us. (laughs) I need to find more of that in my adult life, but especially for children. Yes, 100%. And it's funny that you say that about the snow days, because my husband always says, even now, those were his favorite days as an adult when the kids were growing up. When the call would come in that it was a snow day, 
and he couldn't go to work. He wasn't going to work and the kids, and it was just this huge gift. And it's interesting how we place so much value on that, but we don't give that gift to ourselves. No, right, right. We're so glad when it just happens and when we get that, but why don't we plan it or why don't make we? it happen? And I, yeah. That's right. And I think that's kind of what I was thinking. My gosh, if I can't, if you can't have that as a child, what is going on? So I think that's why I really felt like it was important for me to give my kids pressure-free, schedule-free time to be kids and to not have to always, uh, you know, th there's two sides to that. One is that it's the pressure of the schedule. It's the pressure of being on time, paying attention, taking your turn, all those things that you have to do. And then also the lack of freedom of just like, let me just lay on my back and stare at the clouds. And no one's going to tell me I'm wasting time. No one's going to tell me that I should be doing something else. I can just do that for an hour and make up a story about the clouds or wherever my imagination takes me. And I feel a little bit sad that I think that's really it's hard to put that into a kid's world these days. I don't think we make a lot of space for that. We don't. And it's like we feel guilty or bad if something like that, because then our kids are falling behind or we <laughs> all the other kids, they're doing this and that activity <laughs> and they're working with this and that coach, tutor and, you know, helpful. That's exactly class. right. So yep. it's like we want them to have a great life and to have everything. And so our way of helping them to get that or making sure they get that is to just like constantly throw things at them or have them be constantly doing things. Yes, I think that the way we parent now is to, it's like they're adults in training. Better get used to it. Here's the schedule. Here's the pressure. And I don't think there's a recognition that childhood is different from adulthood. It should be a totally different phase of your life, in my opinion. And let me be clear, I'm no expert. I'm just a mom who's lived a few years. But I just think that, I think we do them a disservice when we abbreviate their childhood. I understand what you're saying. It's done out of love and concern. We so desperately want our children to be successful in life, whatever that looks like for us. And I think for most of it, us, it looks like a good college, a good career with a stable income. And so we have this fear that's really hard to get. Unless from like age seven, we've got them in training of tutors and coaches and all this other stuff. And I don't know how you stop that fear. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah, well, because there is a trade-off of, you know, you take them off the treadmill, then they are not doing all those things that all the other kids are doing. And if that's the game that they need to play, then it's kind of a balance. Yeah, you feel everything feels so important or something. Everything feels so important. That's a great way to say it. We don't feel like, yeah, this Saturday we could just do nothing. Or this whole summer we could just do nothing and it would be fine. But, you know, I'll say one thing. I do feel that when the kids get to be teens, it is different. I think they need a busy schedule of their own interests because the whole thing about childhood is you need time to play. There's a certain type of play, independent, free play. You don't do that when you're 15. I mean, maybe you'll stare at the clouds a little, but you're not going to go out in the backyard and put on a cape and have a sword fight, probably, when you're 15. Yeah. So you do need those other outlets, music and sports or whatever those things are. And my kids were very busy in the teen years. I tried to 
give them the empty space in childhood. But by the time they got to teens, they were very busy and I think it was healthy. So there's a time for that pressure, but I don't think it starts at six years old. Yeah. It's interesting also the way of socializing transitions where in, is kids can just play or let's just play. I want to just have a friend over and play. And it kind of, I don't know, really when that happens around uh, early adolescence, tween years that kind of, you can't really just play anymore. <laughs> you got to do something. I think you get self-conscious too about who are your friends or, you know, are you in the right group? Yeah. And then, and I think too, I notice a lot of disparity in maturity in the tweens. Like for instance, my older son, Sam, he would have put on a cape and fought in the backyard with a sword well into the age of 13. Absolutely. But there were other probably boys who were 13 who stopped that at 10. They didn't want to do that anymore. So you kind of have to find your people. Like who's kind of likes to do the same things that I like to do at my age and hang out with them. And then that gets complicated by, but I want to be in the cool group or I want to uh, it's so hard. But yeah, that's really all those pressures that kind of start creeping in. And it's interesting thinking about this idea of going back to the 1950s. And it's like this time when the heyday of like this nuclear family and these like just long summer days of just playing outside with other kids and everything like that. But, you know, in a lot of ways, probably there were just different pressures or I think for kids, if you were lucky enough to be in a nuclear family in a safe neighborhood, it was probably great. But I think in terms of our, you know, and I talk about this in the book, our idealization of the 50s, of course, is ridiculous. They had plenty of problems. I don't think it was much fun to be a woman who really couldn't work. And people did work, but there was a stigma uh, around women working. You were supposed to stay home, et cetera. So I don't want to over-idealize the 50s. I was really going more for the, the mythological 50s as opposed to the actual 50s. But the one thing I learned about the 50s that I think is true today was the amount of conformity. And, and we know that about the 50s. It's kind of a joke, right? That everybody, you know, had that house with that one car and et cetera. But if you look at it today, there's the exact same amount of conformity. We think we're all so free and, you know, uh, go our own way. But in terms of parenting, everybody's doing the same thing. We're all signing our kids up for peewee sports at the age of four. We're all uh, really sweating out the college things. I mean, and as you just said earlier, and if you don't, you feel like you're failing your child. You feel like you're falling behind. So that's conformity. If I don't do what everybody else is doing, then... I'm going to somehow like be in trouble. Well, that's conformity. So I think it really helped me to recognize the level of conformity that we all live with and say, wow, okay, maybe I don't have to. Maybe I don't have to do that. And then it will be okay if I don't. Halfway through our chat, I want to remind you about the power of Bonfire Digital Wellness. Is your teen struggling with digital balance? Bonfire DW's coaching is designed to guide them towards academic success, stronger relationships, and effective screen management. 
It's about fostering resilience and healthy habits in a digital age. Give your teen the edge they need. Take advantage of a one-month free trial at bonfiredw.org slash talking to teens. Let's help your teen shine with Bonfire DW. So talk to me a little more about this actual summer that you orchestrated. And did your kids have like chores to do? How much nothing to do was really happening? So they were seven and 10 at the time. Uh, And then they both turned eight and 11 during the course of that. I regret to say I did not give them a lot of chores. That is a failing of mine as a mother. And I'll be the first to admit it. They had some chores. I mean, they were supposed to make their bed in the morning. and But in general, the, our routine would go like this. They would get up early. They were early risers in those days. And I would let them turn the TV on. This book takes place in the summer of 2008. So they didn't have iPads. We didn't have smartphones for them. So even though we had TV with Cartoon Network, it was not quite the same as it is now with the level of screen usage. And uh, working as a writer, so I, they would play in their pajamas in front of the TV in the living room. Blocks and Legos and whatever you do when you're that age and you build stuff until about 11. And that's when I would write. So, yes, I would use the TV as a babysitter. I would get my writing done. And then around 11 o'clock, that was it. And we would turn off the TV and get dressed and we would try to go outside. So we have a town pool that we joined. We would go there. Maybe we'd go to a playground. And that was pretty much the day until dinner every day. So I can hear parents thinking like, my gosh. And yeah, it was hard. The hardest thing about it, honestly, was that there were no other families doing the same thing. And so most of the time, uh, it was hard for us to find friends to play with. If we went to the town pool, at least 50% of the time, there'd be a gang of kids they could hook up with and have a great time. So that would be great. But sometimes there wouldn't be, or sometimes it rained. So then we would try to have friends over. I would arrange play dates. And in terms of the play dates, I just didn't supervise them. You guys go out in the backyard. You guys go in your room. I mean, obviously, I'm making sure they're not burning anything down. But other than that, I just tried to let them play however they wanted to play and not judge them. So one year, my younger son got a flip. Remember those flip cameras? They had their heyday for like a short time. He got a flip camera for his birthday. And he and his friend in the bedroom, they were probably like nine, just they would, one would get in the bed and pile all the stuffed animals on top of him underneath. And the other one would walk in with the camera and surprise him and he'd jump up and the animals would fly everywhere. And then they would laugh. And then they would watch the movie. And then they would do the whole thing again. (laughs) Yeah. Of course. First of all. Oh, how fun is that? So, when, I mean, I, that was adorable and funny. But when they did stuff like that, I would resist the urge to think you should be working on your tennis stroke. I don't know why we're not doing a math packet. Like, it's okay to spend the whole day pretending you're Spider-Man or making a silly movie. They weren't little Spielbergs. They weren't thinking like, well, I'm going to go to film school. So I'm practicing. No, it wasn't like that. We're just being silly. <laughs> so. When they did their silly behavior, I tried to just not judge it and not be involved. And (laughs) the one other thing about this summer was it was as much for myself as for them. Because as a parent, 
I think maybe everybody can relate to, it gets so exhausting scheduling your children's days and supervising them. This was an aspect of parenting that I was not prepared for, is that from the time they wake up till the time they go to bed, they need something to do. And it's your job to figure out what that should be. It's like, this is ridiculous. I don't have this much bandwidth to, to figure out. This is why people sign their kids up for activities. So for me to just say like, look, you're in the backyard. If you're bored, if you're, you know, doing whatever, I'm just going to let it go because I'm tired of figuring it out for you. You can plan it. I trust you to plan it. What a novelty remembering that feeling of what should I do? <laughs> like I have nothing to do or nothing to worry, to work on or like no responsibilities. I remember asking my mom, what, what, what should I do? What do I do? Her saying is, find something productive to do, <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> I know. That feeling of not having anything to do, I feel like that's uniquely childlike. Mm -hmm. Because I, like you said, I can't remember the last time I felt like that. Certainly not since high school. It's crazy. Because even doing this whole summer with your family and with your kids, if we're not going to do anything, that, but you're still doing a lot of that as a parent to yes. create that. Still, yeah, still going to the grocery store and putting dinner on the table and working and doing whatever things are happening. Absolutely. You talk about like the beach trip that you take for a week in the every summer and preparing for that and the preparations that start or, uh, at least a week before you actually leave and getting the car ready and getting making sure you have first aid supplies in case anybody you have to think of every possible thing that could happen and kind of prepare for all that and so even things that seem like this carefree like weekend at the beach of doing nothing can turn into a lot of thinking and planning for parents yeah I think any parent will tell you how much work vacation is. It's the vacations that we took before we had kids were vacations. In fact, my friends and I sometimes will say, well, don't call it a vacation. Call it a family trip because that's really what it is. You know, and the other thing, too, like we'd be at the beach. You, you got to watch your children. They can't go out too far in the ocean. And they, you know, there's all the other things, not just boredom, but are they being safe? Are they... I don't know, whatever the things are on vacation. One of it, I talk about in the book, we learned to ride a bike on one time. So that's a job, teaching your child to ride a bike. Or So, of course, they're wonderful and we created great memories. But I think it's important to for all parents to admit that it's a lot of work getting ready and going on vacation. It's worth it. You're making memories that will last. But yeah, the laundry, the pre-laundry, and then the post-laundry... <laughs> We're here with Pam Lobley talking about doing nothing, and we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Once they get to 18, you don't really have much control. And no parent wants to hear that because that is freakishly frightening. But the fact is, it's kind of true. And so if you can like practice not controlling a little bit while they're growing up, Maybe it's easier. I don't know. But for me personally, it felt really good to just let go a little bit. Let go of so many external expectations 
and say like, okay, well, you know what? A lot of those other boys are getting great at baseball this summer. We're not. We're not. And we're never going to because they don't really care about baseball. So that's okay. So letting go is good. (laughs) I don't really know how we got here, how our entire generation of parenting has wrapped our own identity up so deeply in our children. Because your parents probably didn't raise you like this. I mean, they, of course, they wanted us to do well and they did everything they could to raise us right. But I don't get the feeling it was the same thing. And I think that is the root of that and the fear, the fear that they're not going to get enough, get ahead, have a good life. And then maybe we're afraid of what that would say about us. If our kids couldn't turn out well, it must be our fault. There's a whole lot of judgment. And so you have to be ready to let it roll off your back, you know, somehow not take it in. And also, I think maybe recognize that judgment is coming from their own fear. Wow. If you let your kid play all summer and it's fine, then what does that say about then did I have to spend all that money on all those activities? Could I have done that? Like, uh, like we're so worried that we're doing it wrong that when somebody else makes a different choice than us, I think it terrifies us. My mom always said, she said, you know, when you guys were little, there was a general consensus of what was appropriate for children and what was adults. There was like a really clear boundary. And most adults, 90% of adults, agreed with that. A, A respectful way that a kid should talk to an adult. The type of behavior, et cetera, et cetera. And TV was another one of those. There just wasn't an opportunity. The boundary was built in. And now there's no boundaries around anything. Kids are allowed to address people in certain ways and have certain types of behavior. I mean, you talk to teachers, they would say it's very hard to manage their classrooms these days. And then the whole entertainment. I mean, and now it's not just TV, it's the internet. So you're literally, you are the gatekeeper between your child and all that stuff. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.